Let us pray. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be opened. Amen. The New Testament reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and may be found on page 966 of your pew Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in life is him, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The word of the Lord. Our Old Testament lesson on this reign of Christ Sunday comes from the book of 2 Samuel, the 23rd chapter, verses 1 through 7. So listen now for the word of God to the church. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, son of Jesse, the oracle of the man whom God exalted, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the favorite of the strong one of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His word is upon my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, one who rules over people justly, ruling in the fear of God, is like the light of morning, like the sun rising on a cloudless morning, gleaming from the rain on the grassy land. Is not my house like this? With God. For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. Will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But the godless are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be picked up with the hand. To touch them, one uses an iron bar or the shaft of a spear, and they are entirely consumed in fire on the spot. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So scripture presents these verses as the last words of King David. This enigmatic figure has been both a peasant and a king, a sinner and a saint, a terrible father, and the beloved patriarch of a people. And now as this multifaceted life comes to a close, the man who has come to embody the music, the lyrics, and the poetry of a nation offers up one final song as the curtain on his life prepares to fall. I can tell you that people on their deathbeds can do some pretty strange things. Many years ago, an English newspaper published a story about a rich merchant from Liverpool who had one son, and that one son had caused him endless trouble and expense throughout his life. And when that man finally died, his kind of shiftless son went to fetch his father's will so that he could claim his long-awaited inheritance. 
And he searched high and low throughout that house, but he could not find that will anywhere. And then years later, as some movers were clearing out the old man's library, a sealed envelope dropped out of the big family Bible. When they opened it, they found in that envelope the missing will. And they also saw that a note had been scrawled in pencil on the back of that will by a father who seemed intent on having the last word. I hid this last will and testament here in this Bible, the note read, because I figured this was the last place my son would have looked to find it. Now, most people are a little bit more uh, thoughtful, maybe a little less confident on their deathbeds, and a lot of deathbed reflections can be very profound. A number of times in my ministry, I have seen a certain question dominate the final days and hours of a dying man or woman, and that question is this, have I done enough? And I've heard it asked by people who have been very successful in life, people who knew that they had been blessed in many ways, and as their earthly life was drawing to a close, they found themselves asking whether the good that they had done, the help that they had given, had it been pleasing to God. If you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, you probably remember that this is the existential question that frames the entire movie. Private James Ryan is saved by a group of soldiers who are sent on a very dangerous mission just to find him, just to pull him out of harm's way. And several of those men died trying to save him. As Ryan nears the end of his life, as he is thinking about all of the blessings that he'd received, all that had been given to him, he does wonder if he had done enough to earn it. And as he stands over the grave of one of the men who gave his life, Ryan turns to his wife with pain in his eyes and he utters the honest plea, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I am a good man. And one has to believe that a similar question was in the heart of the shepherd king, the man who has been called the greatest sinner and the greatest saint of Israel. As he prepares to meet his maker face to face, he is wrestling with a question. Now, God has given David a vision, a prophetic vision, really, of what a good ruler is like one who rules over people justly, ruling in the fear of God, is like the light of morning, like the sun rising on a cloudless morning, gleaming from the rain on the grassy land. And then comes the question, is my house like this? Is this how God sees my house? Now, this is one of those times when biblical translation is both important and pretty hard. Scholars haven't really been able to agree on how to translate this Hebrew that we read as a question. Some actually read it as a statement. Some have David saying, yes, my life is like this. Isn't that wonderful? Others have turned that statement into a negative. No, my house isn't really like this. 
And still other versions are like the one that we read this morning, putting this as a question, a vexing question that David is asking himself and asking God, is my house like this? This translation makes the most sense to me. It's as if David is asking God the same question asked by James Ryan, Lord, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I've been a good king. Tell me I have been what you needed me to be. It's no mistake that this is our focus on this final Sunday of the liturgical year, and it is the end of the liturgical year. Last December, we began our journey with Jesus in Advent. Since then, we have prepared for his coming with the prophets. We've celebrated his birth with Luke. We've remembered his presentation at the temple, recalled his baptism by John. We followed the pain of his path to the cross throughout Lent. We have celebrated his resurrection. We marked the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Then we spent the better part of the summer remembering the wisdom of his parables and the power of his miracles. And now today, that liturgical year comes to an end with a celebration of his kingship, a recognition of the cosmic reign of Jesus Christ. And as we look back on our year with the Lord... We're given this song about David's reflection on his life with the Lord. Just as David hoped that his life had honored God, (coughs) so are we invited to be honest about the ways (coughs) that we have honored God. Excuse me. The ways that we have honored God (coughs) or perhaps not honored God. I don't know what's going on with me. (coughs) Excuse me for a second. Um, In the lives we have led over the past year, we're invited to think about these things, whether we've honored God, whether we have not. And the fact of the matter is that David's life, (coughs) as amazing as it was, was truly a mixed bag. As much as he tried to be righteous, and he did try to be righteous, David's house was not always a place of righteousness. In that house, David would arrange for the murder of Uriah to cover up with his uh, adultery with Bathsheba and prepare the way for his marriage to Bathsheba. In that house, David's son Amnon would commit an unspeakable crime against his half-sister Tamar. In that house, David's son Absalom would avenge her by killing Amnon and then raising an army to overthrow his father David. In that house, David would orchestrate a response to that coup that would lead inevitably to the killing of his own son. So in that house, David would be complicit in a vast catalog of sins and wrongdoing. And there is little wonder that when God said that a righteous ruler was like the sun in the light of morning, that David would think back on this darkness and ask, is my house really like this with God? At the same time, David's life did have some unquestionably glorious moments in the sun. As a young shepherd, he did something that no other warrior had dared to try. He killed Goliath, the champion of the Philistines. He would go on to be Israel's greatest military figure. Victorious not because he trusted in himself, 
but because he trusted in God for victory. Even though King Saul had been duplicitous and murderous in his assaults on David, David had never returned evil for evil, despite being given several chances to do so. He would show a nation what it meant to be a faithful friend, a faithful king, and a faithful child of God, shining brightly enough to be included in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11. Despite his many flaws and imperfections, David would always be known as a man of God's own heart. But even with all that going for him, the deathbed of David was really reduced to the same equation that it will be for you and will be for me. Theologian Peter Kreeft is known for his story about the burial of an Austrian emperor. National tradition called for the body of the deceased ruler to be carried to the door of a certain monastic church. And the pallbearers would knock on these massive wooden doors, and inside the abbot would respond, Who is there? So let's say the emperor's name was Carl. The answer would be, Emperor Carl, king of all Austria. And the abbot's lone voice from inside the cathedral would then answer, We know of no such person here. The pallbearers would knock again, and again the answer would come, Who is there? Emperor Carl, they would say. And once again, the lone voice would answer, We know of no such person here. Pallbearers knock a third time. Who is there, the abbot asks. They answer with the only thing they have left. Carl, they say. And the abbot would turn the iron knob and the door to the cathedral would open. Death, as they say, is the great equalizer. At the end of the day, David the mighty king, David the poet, David the warrior, David the man of God's own heart was just David the man. David preparing himself to meet his maker, getting ready to stand before God, hoping and praying that he had done enough for those gates to open. In this last song of David, a life that is well-lived, a life that is truly honored and respected God, that kind of life is compared to the light of morning, to the sun rising on a cloudless morning, a glorious dawn. As the church, we have walked yet another year in the path of the Lord. Have our lives shone like the morning sun? I can ask, is my house really like this with God? You can ask, is your house really like this with God? Because if your life is like mine, your life over the last year has been, at best, a mixed bag. You've done some good. You've made some mistakes. You've shared some light, but you've also found yourself in the darkness from time to time. And fortunately for us, the Christian life is not a question of having arrived. Yes, we are justified by faith. Yes, our sins are forgiven and forgotten by a God who is slow to anger, quick to forgive, and abounding in steadfast love. But we never really get to a place where we can pat ourselves on the back and say, we made it. We can never really hope to progress to a point where we are beyond the need For God's grace. The truth is that none of us truly arrive until that time 
when the sun goes down on our lives for the last time and all the titles and the accolades and the successes and the failures and the profits and the losses, all that falls away and we're left with the final plea, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good person. And in response to this question on this reign of Christ Sunday, I want to bring our liturgical year to a close with two final points. And the first is something that theologian Shirley Guthrie has said about the Christian life. The real question, Guthrie says, is not how perfect are you? The real question we need to ask at the end of this year and every year is, are you growing? Have you settled down comfortably with the growth you have behind you, he writes, or are you willing to keep up the painful, constant struggle to keep on growing? Is your Christian life an attempt simply to hold on to what you think you have already achieved in your relation to God and other people, or are you willing to risk what you have already learned and accomplished to explore new and more complete ways of loving God and loving other people. To be a Christian, Guthrie says, is not to be something, but to be becoming something. So first, are we growing? The second and final point relates to the answer that God always gives to these existential questions that we ask ourselves and ask God. This year, have I done enough? Have I grown enough? Have I lived a good enough life? As Karl Barth says, God's yes is always greater than our no. God's faith is greater than our doubts and fears. God's strength is greater than our weaknesses. This is the essence of faith and the core of the good news. At the end of Saving Private Ryan, as James Ryan stands over the Normandy grave of the man, of one of the men who gave his life so that he might live. He turns to his wife with tears in his eyes. Tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I've lived a good life. And his wife clearly does not know the full story behind his question. She has figured out correctly that this struggle must have something to do with the man whose body now lies six feet below them, but she doesn't know how. And at the end of the day, she doesn't need to know how. She already knows enough to answer, and she puts her hand on Ryan's face, and she looks him lovingly in the eye, and she says, you are. You are a good man. You have lived a good life. As the sun falls on yet another year in our lives of faith, I hope that you share my hope that our lives have spread some light in this world, that we have in some small way participated in the breaking dawn of God's reconciling work. Israel's greatest sinner and Israel's greatest saint tells us that the house of one who truly loves and fears the Lord is like the light of morning, like the sun rising on a cloudless morning, gleaming from the rain on the grassy land. And in the light of this morning, you may be asking like David did, 
am I really like this? The full significance of reign of Christ Sunday is found in the answer to that question. Because God loves the world enough to give us his only begotten son, because that son died for us, rose for us, prays for us, and now reigns in power for us. The God of heaven and earth takes your face gently in his hands, looks you squarely in the eye, and whispers to you his eternal answer. Yes, you are. Thanks be to God. Amen.